Game Boys. Hello, Internet. Welcome to the Game Boys podcast. It's me, your host, Lux, and I'm here, as always, with our good friend, Griffin Davis. I'm not doing a special intro because this episode itself is very special. We're not doing a full one. It's like a bonus segment situation. Um, but Griffin, how's it going before I explain yeah, what we're doing today? Don't waste any specialness on me. We've got a very special guest. We have to save all of our special juice for... Yeah. Well, <laughs> we also have another guest this week, so like, I can't think of two intros for you. That would be crazy. <laughs> that would be exhausting. Um, yeah, you know, I think uh, we always should start with asking what we're playing this week. So Lux, what are you playing right now? I'm still on Slay the Spire. Um, I've been trying to wineskin Frostpunk so I can play it on my computer, but it is not going well. Okay, well, uh, I have been playing something very exciting: the Kingdom Hearts 2 remaster. Oh yeah, it's the I heard first time I've ever on Twitch. <laughs> I streamed it on Twitch. Uh, it was my first Twitch stream ever. Uh, it lasted three minutes, and then I got <laughs> bored. Um, but I bought a Twitch camera, so now you guys can see me finish Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, and by you guys, I mean the ten people listening right now. All right, to be fair, our average listeners have gone a lot up since they were at ten an episode. Oh, but, nice. I haven't checked. <laughs> yeah, it's like almost 25 or 30. <laughs> But uh, I'm very excited about this episode. Uh, I don't know if this is a mini episode or what, um, but I'm very excited because uh, we're bringing on a guest that we've mentioned a lot on this show. It's, uh, he's a he's a he's a, it's kind of a, a big uh, or part of the origin story of this podcast. Yeah, I'd actually like have to a, say. a pillar of the mythology for sure. Yeah, um, but uh, I think I would like to welcome to the podcast uh, Lux's dad. Uh, do I call Rabbi Luxembourg? Yeah, Rabbi Jack, Jack Luxembourg. Jack, <laughs> Jack, Jack will do. Jack yeah. will do. Perfect. Dude. Welcome to the podcast, Jack. Thanks for coming hey, on. Well, thank you for having me. Let's talk video games. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah um, absolutely. So Lux always mentions uh, that, that he uh, was able to experience video games at a young age because you were a video game fan. And that's that's kind of a rare relationship uh, for, for, for video gamers. I, I suppose it's so. Listen, I grew up uh, spending summers on the Jersey Shore. Long Beach Island, New Jersey. Cool. And there was uh, ocean sand and pinball. <laughs> uh, the it was uh, 1950s uh, arcades with pinball machines and skee ball and real soda fountains, and uh, it was pinball for me. And I think we recognize that pinball is the precursor for so many of the games, uh, just the electronic games, not so much. Uh, sophisticated games that we play today, the RPGs, etc., but video games in general. Uh, a lot of the engineering, a lot of the electronics had their root in uh, the really creative uh, pinball tables. Yeah, pinball is interesting. It's like, because uh, I feel like gaming started at these like arcades or whatever. Right. Like people would people would try and get their high score, get their name on the things. Um, but then did those same people then transfer to console gaming to buying consoles or was it only a few of you guys that kind of migrated no, to the next generation I, 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 by 1971 or two i was working at ohio state university and by that and there the arc there was an arcade but you could hardly find a pinball game you found the electronic game consoles you know like the pac-man and the joust mm -hmm. Jobs. Uh, right. God, what a and terrible all, game. <laughs> all, all the games that ultimately ended up in our on our home TVs with Atari sure. and mm -hmm. the, the and its ilk. So then you have and and then you had the very beginnings, right, of um, 
of like the RPGs, you know, the mm-hmm. eight pixel games. Right, right. You had like adventure and stuff. Adventure, you know, and then we had, and then Game Boys, those great mm-hmm. electronic babysitters, Ding. right? Yeah, you know, so from my great experience, when I talk to adults about so video accurate. games, uh, from my experience, it's like, it's it's always like, yeah, like they, uh, a lot of adults, like so even my parents have those experiences with those arcade games, but they never, they never continued the trajectory. Like an RPG is so different from a right. pinball game that it's like, it's interesting to me that you, you still like, you kept through the generations you know, and the I evolutions would, of gaming. I would... I, I think I would make this observation that on the really sophisticated tables, there were there were narrative elements. Mm. You uh, you unlock you know if you're lucky enough to uh, get the ball the silver ball to go in the right place, the right hole, the, hit the right combination of targets. Uh, something happened uh, to to uh, push a story that the table represented forward. And remember mm-hmm. that that some of the really sophisticated tables were linked as as they are today. Uh, still, uh, to television shows like Star Trek, Star Wars. Oh, yeah. et cetera, I just played the Game of Thrones pinball machine down the street. All right, so so <laughs> how'd that go, Griff? I badly. I'm not good. <laughs> uh, you didn't. You're not sitting on the Iron Throne. <laughs> I, I I I was a kind of a Ned Stark. Oh no! Yeah, I hit he the Ned Stark after hole. the third ball. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, Dad, you um, at least in my experience, being your son and all, when we I was growing up, you <laughs> played. Mo- you were playing. We didn't have like a console for the TV. You played computer games. That's what we grew up doing. Well, here, do you remember? Um, I can't remember the author, but do you remember the Rift World novels? Oh yeah, well, the Rift World I wasn't do. that Raymond E. Feist. Yes. One of the very first uh, RPGs that I rem- that I remember playing uh, was based on one of those novels. Right, well, that- it was placed in that world, and I had enjoyed those novels, and so I picked it up. It was very text heavy. Yeah, as we've, we've actually talked about this on the podcast, that watching you and Daniel play that game is like a big part of how I learned how to read. Well, by the way, it's a big part how Daniel learned to read. Well, <laughs> so both that's, of us were raised by that's learning, really cool. learning how to read from no, a trailer it, condor. It, it was very text heavy. Uh-huh. And in our house, uh, there was a lot of reading. We did a lot of reading. Mom and I did a lot of reading to you. Yep. And, um, and it, there was a point where I was wondering why your brother Daniel, who's very bright, was not reading on his own. Part of it was I look, realized looking back is he liked to be with us and be read to. So I would sit with him and we would play the game. And we would start, and and it was was very text heavy, and we would start playing our own game. Like, I read one word, Daniel. You have to read the next word. Back and forth, stuff like that. When I was a a youth, and finally, Griffin, what happened was Daniel became so impatient to find out what happened next that he would go down, turn on the computer, and play the game. And finally, he would read because he wanted to know what was going to happen. Oh, that's no. great. So, so so you kind of taught your son how to read through video games is what you're saying? A duology of sons, actually. I would say there was uh, the video game provided an incentive. And, and let's not forget that even today, um, it's use of, of video game playing 
is used as a, a, as an educational device in in many instances. I can remember Assassin's Creed just released uh, their ed, their educational only version where you can experience all of the landmarks of Egypt without. Uh, engaging with any of like the action or violence like you can just learn about Egypt but how about the games where people do the games that are played for letter recognition mm-hmm. where, you know with uh, young especially these days when people are very vi- visually oriented when when it, it seems uh, kids are born computer savvy right so all this I think uh, comes very natural that's really interesting because uh, I think most most parents uh, view video games as uh, as as trash or just like entertainment or like almost worse than watching TV. Um, uh, d- did you just did you ever have that fear that video games were going to like corrupt your kids through some of their stuff, or was that never on your radar? I have to say honestly, it never occurred to me because if, <laughs> if they were going to be corrupted, I was already corrupt. Uh, you know, so you know, like. Like, yeah, like father, like son. <laughs> they never had any chances, right? Um, but well, we, we, I tend to RPGs. I mm-hmm. tend to fantasy RPGs because I, I, I like that. And maybe some science fiction RPGs. Like, I liked Mass Effect a lot. Mm-hmm. But what I tried to, but personally, I've always tended away from games. Even, you know, I like the games which on the label says fantasy violence. Yeah. No, I mean, right? I, remember- I, not, I don't like shooting. Games where I'm shooting at other human beings. I remember sure. as a kid, yeah, you, like I wasn't allowed to bring Grand Theft Auto into my house, never, so I had to borrow my neighbors and then sneak it into the house uh, to play it. Well, see, that never came up for us because I also sort of inherited just by like osmosis the same like I never liked playing. I still don't really like playing games where you shoot. I mean, you've heard me complain about shooting games all the time, Griffin. I don't like games where you shoot people. And I think that's probably a related thing because I grew up on, you know, Diablo with Dad, Betrayal mm-hmm. of Condor with Dad. Etc. Cetera, sure, et cetera. sure. Yeah, yeah, killing a demon is different than killing a bystander. <laughs> yeah, precisely so. The butcher wanted yeah. to eat me. Um, uh, well, that's super cool. I want to ask a few more questions uh, just about uh, your life. Um, now, you are are you a retired uh, rabbi? Is that the profession title? I, I think uh, I like to use rabbi emeritus. I was rabbi in a congregation in Rockville, Maryland for 35 years. Okay. And I stepped aside from the day-to-day leadership of the congregation. I have a wonderful successor, but I'm still connected to the congregation. So like a professor emeritus is still connected and has some responsibilities and some accessibility to students and his, his or her university. I still have uh, the same type of working relationship uh, with my congregants and with the professional staff. So I like the term rabbi emeritus. Yeah, well, I, okay. think, I think there's a certain degree, Griffin, and you'll be able to relate to this, where the same way that you and I kind of need to get on stage and perform in front of people, I think every once in a while, dad needs to rabbi around some people to like feel okay. <laughs> sure. I, 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 I suppose that's true. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I admit to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. I, you're talking to two people who do, who've dedicated their whole lives to getting people to pay attention to them. So it's totally... <laughs> We were uh, you know. we were talking about um, RPGs and fantasy and kind of like some like how like they have interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that um, has a video game been able to tell a story about religion or can, or do you think they have the ability to? Well, I, uh, they certainly have uh, the ability to, uh, and I do believe that out there, uh, maybe not in mass market, there are. Uh, games that have been created uh, to reflect biblical stories and different religious traditions. 
But if we can step back from any particular faith grouping, I mean, most religious traditions uh, have master stories. Uh, most religious traditions have master stories that I think we might agree follow, uh, we'll call it the... Uh, the heroic arc or the quest the, arc the, narrative. The monomyth. Sure, the hero's journey. Sure, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Talking about the monomyth, Dad. The monomyth? Yeah. Okay, go Jung. Um, <laughs> I vomit on psychology. Um, anyway. So, but what I'm getting at is that when I think one of the things that um, appealed to me about RPGs is that uh, they follow uh, in the main, right, the quest narrative, uh, the mm-hmm. heroic growth narrative, somewhere, and, and and religious traditions, I think, are all about that. And 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 whether it's about a master story that has a uh, an ideal model, uh, a personality, uh, or is about the one's own journey, one's own quest to re- uh, not only to reach a goal, but to experience along the journey some type of transformative moment. And I think that most RPGs where you play as a character uh, follows a, a similar dynamic. Uh, you, you, you progress through uh, a heroic arc. There are moments of transformation. And today, the games are so sophisticated uh, that they, they branch much like uh, the, the narrative of a human life based on the decisions that you make. Uh, you get different paths through the game. You even get, in some instances, different outcomes. Uh, right. You mentioned Mass Effect earlier. Mass Effect's a good example of that, of a game that has way different outcomes based on like your choices and uh, introduces some morality choices, too. I, yes. also, I also think Mass Effect is, Griffin, you mentioned like games that confront ideas of religion. I think Mass Effect is like maybe the best sort of mainstream one in the way that it, it a lot of it is sort of focused on how you live and like what ethics mean and like sort of beliefs in higher systems like i mean you have like they have like a, a knockoff israel palestine conflict with the geth and the well that's the that's stated they said that they said it okay um my point is that they do get into a lot of and uh, like a lot of like the mythologies of, of the nation formation stuff like that and i think that the mass effect really uh is like one of the best games in that respect. Like it gets into a lot mm-hmm. of ideas of like what being a person means and what you're supposed to do. And mm-hmm. I think that that's really fascinating stuff. Um, Dad, I also, so uh, Rory, our last guest uh, upon hearing that you were coming on, uh, asked me to ask if there's anything, if you've ever like, cause I know you're pretty well versed in like the Talmud Midrash, the extra, the extra or the Judaism extended universe for lack of a better phrase. Um, and I was wondering if there's any games that like spark that kind of stuff or bring any of that stuff to mind for you. So I'm very curious because I think a lot of those ideas are very cool. That is a really good question, which I think I'd have to think about. I, I think that um, I, I think what appeals to me uh, about the RPG genre, especially these days, is exactly what you've touched on: is about um, uh, what kind of person, what kind of person, what kind of system of. Uh, of values do you bring to playing the game, especially as uh, a a game that gives you that opportunity? Um, Even in the old Dungeons & Dragons, right, you you chose a sort of a profile that reflected a certain ethic. You were chaotic, you were neutral. You had your alignment chart. Right, alignment. But alignment also meant how you 
how you perceived and how you acted in the world. And you had to, and the alignment didn't make sense in the game playing if you didn't act accordingly. In other words, if you if your actions didn't reflect your alignment. Right. Yeah, there's certain games where it's like you're the good guy, but also this good guy has to shoot up every single person he meets, and like that doesn't always connect. Right. Uh, and so in what I'm saying is that in in, in, a, in in maybe a very rudimentary sense. Uh, going all the way back to uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, and, and, and the like, when you chose an alignment, you were essentially saying how, if, and I don't mean to be punish, punny about this, but you know, how, do you, how do you align yourself with the world? How are you living in the world? And that sort of should be reflected in your actions, right? Or, uh, and that's the same, I think, with most, I think every religious tradition would say that you, if your beliefs are genuine, if, and that's how you align yourself with the world, then those beliefs are not just to be professed. Those beliefs should be reflected in how you live in a way that if, if I didn't know who you were, if I didn't know what tradition you came from, I could hopefully discern some insight into what your beliefs were by, by observing how you lived in the world, how you interacted, the type of decisions that 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 you made, and I, you know, and I have to, I, I have to admit that I always play the role playing game as, you know, as a as a person with a good alignment. Trying to that was my I, that was my question was Have you ever gone bad? <laughs> I don't. I, I have to tell you, I don't believe I ever have. I think that, and and I think that that's the challenge. I think that's, uh -huh. and I think that's a profoundly religious challenge. And that is, how do you make your way? Just as it's a challenge to make your way through the game. Right, as a good character with all the sure. uh, uh, compromises and all the decisions you may have to make. Mm -hmm. Isn't religion about finding your way through the world, hopefully as a good person? Sure, uh, yeah. And uh, I, I think that there's an analog there. And so in, to the extent that as a religious person, I try to make my way through the world as a good human being and a person who is concerned about good in the world that's why i like to play my game i like i think that's for me that's to be otherwise <laughs> i think i would be very uncomfortable i'm not sure how to play evil <laughs> you wouldn't be a, you wouldn't be down to play the evil uh <laughs> yeah i uh, the dark rabbi um actually that's griffin i mean we've talked about this before like that's why i wasn't playing neutral is because Dad used to give me some shit whenever I would like kill the civilians, and eventually I like internalized that, and so now the worst <laughs> I get is like weird neutral when I play those kind of games. Right? Yeah. Like I always bring up this game um, called Undertale on this podcast, and it's a game that it's all about morality in a way that a lot of games haven't. It's really interesting. Um, basically, you are playing this little uh, kid, and you encounter monsters, and you can choose to either kill the monsters or befriend them. Um, and so there's a passive route and a hostile route and it changes the game completely based on if you're befriending these monsters or killing them. Mm -hmm. um, and it gave a really interesting choice um, that I hadn't seen before in a game. Um, yeah. I think what some games are doing is is taking uh, this this idea of morality to an even more interesting level. I think um, basic games that started with morality were like, you can be a good person or you can be a bad person. And I think games are starting to introduce like shades of gray now. 
Um, I'd mention a game, The Witcher 3. I don't yes. know if you've played The Witcher 3. I haven't um, played 3. Three is really great. I haven't played the first two, but what they would introduce is like these kind of like shades of gray. Like you weren't the center character that's going to save the universe. You're just a kind of a bounty hunter that's experiencing both sides of this war. Um, and so it's like there isn't always clear good guys and clear bad guys. And, and your choices aren't always as clear as do the good thing or do the bad thing. And, and, I, and I think that's like an interesting uh, evolution of this. I mean, and that's that's and I know you play The Witcher 2, Dad, because we've talked about it. And that's like a huge part of The Witcher 2 because the whole hinge of The Witcher 2 is that at the mm -hmm. beginning of the game there's a war between the elves and these guys mm -hmm. and your first sort of quest mission you have to pick a side and that changes the whole line of the game and no matter which side you pick you get confronted with like the bads and the goods of it in a very real way which is I mean why The Witcher games are some of my favorites but um yeah, so, all right, let's talk, let's get to some of the stuff we normally talk about rather than uh, smart people stuff that makes Griffin and I sound silly. Um, uh, what are you, what are you playing right now, Dad? What's, what's going on right now in the, on the old console? Well, I downloaded the, um, the most recent patch for uh, Diablo 3. Nice. Going where, strong. And, Classic. And um, so I played it through as a necromancer. Nice. Which I thought was an interesting take because the necromancer is not necessarily intrinsically an evil person, but a person who's interested in maintaining the proper balance between life and death, between growth and decay. Mm -hmm. I, and I think that there, without the occult overlay, I, I, I think <laughs> there's, there's some really um, fundamental, you know, religious, spiritual dimensions there. I, to uh, explore, so I, and then they have um, they've added this dynamic where they you play a season. You pick a character and you play through a season with certain types of goals, and uh, it's, it's still the same narrative arc. It's still the same acts. It's still this, you know. Uh, but I, I happen I happen to enjoy that game. The reason I enjoy it is because I beat it. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not always able to see. Uh, I have to admit. Uh, to easily beat certain games, you see them all the way through to the end. Yeah, that's one big difference now. You and I play games because I am, I will play a game all the way to the end, even if I hate it. Well, <laughs> I'll bail. I'll bail eventually. Like for the, if, if there's a game for the show, like Sunless Sea. I also, uh, of course, I I, I enjoyed the, the uh, Tolkien universe, so I played. Uh, what is it? Uh, Shadow, Shadow of Mordor. Mordor. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I played both of them, right? I played both of them, and I actually just recently downloaded the latest uh, the, uh, DLC. DLC, the download content, uh, for the second of those two games. Shadow of War. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to go back to, to the past, I remember, I mean, one of the things that y'all read to me as a kid when I was very young was the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and one of the first things I read in, like, the first grade as, like, a kid who learned how to read was Lord of the Rings trilogy at the beach. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the Tolkien stuff has been around for has been a foundational text for the family forever. Right. Well, you know, I was in I was in college in the late sixties when everybody sort of rediscovered Tolkien. You know, mm. And so it was it was very uh, I I think that just sort of set me on that path. I've enjoyed the high fantasy uh since and those two games I found were an interesting take uh on on the on the Tolkien more. Right. Well, to get back to your to your interest in like sort of morality and, and performative morality in video games, like that, those games raise a lot of questions about that, where you're like taking over people's minds and and making them do horrible things they probably wouldn't want to do, and you sort of have to reckon with the the effects of that, right? Like that is sort of a built in component of that game. Well, I think I think one of the reasons I like the game 
um, is be, is precisely because it raises those it raises those questions and but who's the um, the the at least starts out the, in the in the heroic posture talent Italian Italian yeah mm-hmm. Italian uh, by the end of that second game uh, he's essentially a ring wraith in terms of how the lore how they developed his, oh, his art. Okay. Yeah. Am I, am I is that a spoiler alert? No, 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 I, no, that, that it's no, it's, it's an obvious fact that I just didn't think about. And, and, <laughs> Welcome to the game boys podcast. Ed. <laughs> All right. Well, but, but I think that that's interesting. And it's because, uh, it's, it, it's, it's his choices. I mean, he, you know, the narr- that narrative is sort of on, on a rail. Uh, it's just, how do you get, get to those, uh, sure. points and whether and, and the dynamic of the game requires that you you, you uh, take over, you mind control people, right. you ask them, you you have them fight for you, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all it, it's all part of getting Italian to the final denouement, where uh, he he essentially becomes a ring wraith, and mm. uh, and it's uh, and you can see his and his struggle. So. So I think that's a game that tells a story. Yeah, you don't have much choice. You can't decide whether Italian goes in one direction or another. Right. Uh, it, it, it's leading to a narrative mm-hmm. end. Uh, but I think it's it, it's done well. And, and they took some liberties with the Tolkien. Yeah, like Shelob. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it, was, it was creative. I mean, look what's going on. With, you know, it's almost like fan fiction. Sure. You know, in a way. Yeah. I mean, the people yeah. who made that game were clearly fans, and they've expanded on, on, on the base narrative, just like fan fiction does. I mean, look what's going on with all the Star Wars stuff, whether it's fan fiction or it's uh, you know, authorized expansions on the Star Wars universe uh, uh, through all the books that have been written and all the novels. Right, and you see it with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, get, Marvel I guess the thing I like most about those Shadow of the Mordor games is that they give orcs personality. And the one yes. thing that I, when I rewatch the, the Lord of the Rings movies, uh-huh. I, I feel like the orcs are just this, this, this race of... F- evil dark people that like when they're defeated who cares where they go and like they're just you know they're just like this other and then like these games gave them like personality and like made them feel like a a race of people uh in a way that i don't think the movies did no the movies didn't and and the game gives them motivation yes absolutely they 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 talk about and, and some of them voice their own orcish aspirations yeah and that's great there's a russian novel uh, from the 90s, where it is the third act of The Return of the King, basically, but told from the perspective of orcs living in Mordor. Wow. Yeah, I got to find what's called. I forget what's called. I'll look it up and I'll say it whenever. Mm-hmm. I'll add yeah, because when I think about like really stuff good. like today, like, oh, like when I think about like, Game of Thrones is like the closest thing I can compare mm-hmm. to Lord of the Rings on TV right now. Like Game of Thrones, like uh, when an army is defeated, I think Game of Thrones tries to deal with the ramifications of that a little bit more, like the realities of it. And so that's what I like about this game. It just feels like a little bit more mature take on 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 the different types of fantasy creatures. Yeah. This actually, this game sounds a lot like a game I think we've mentioned a little bit on here, like Spec Ops The Line. What, did you ever play that? I know. No. I know we talked about it because I wrote about it for my <laughs> graduate thesis from college. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a similar sort of story. It's like a, it's a Heart of Darkness adaptation. And, and as you play through it, you're on rails. But you see this guy go from like classic Afghanistan soldier to falling apart into this like train wreck of a guy who's done all these terrible things and beaten up. And those kind of games that sort of like make you 
attach you to a character and then put you through some shit to tell a lesson about that character in the world they live in, I think is some of the coolest stuff you can do with video games. Like I think that's actually a pretty good question. Like I think open world stuff is, is fascinating and it's fun, but I find that for me, the narrative, like the most compelling video games are ones that are the narratives on rails. Cause it has a thing to say. Um, do you feel similarly dad or are you more of an explorer type in the games that are like really, really big, like Skyrim or was it, was, was the, the Witcher, Oblivion, Oblivion. right. I sometimes find myself getting lost in those games. I have to admit, that's why I like the. And and while there was some exploring potential in in the Mordor games, it wasn't. It was easy to get back on on track. And some of the larger games, I, I I admit to sort of getting lost. It's overwhelming. They're huge. But yeah, but some people really enjoy that, and I and I can really uh, appreciate. They're just being in in, uh, in a in a in a narrative. There's a narrative environment in in which you, in part, are composing the 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 narrative yourself, and you can choose when and and how to return uh, to the we'll say the main quest. Yeah, which which is a mixed bag because then you get things in in Skyrim like you're going to fight a dragon and a, a small child runs up to you and is like, "Can you find my doll?" And it's like, "I'm a little busy." <laughs> I got some, yeah. one, hold on, dragon. I'll be right back. I'm sorry, this girl's <laughs> extremely sad. I, I like I do like a game that tells a good story. Well, that's all. This is all great. Um, Lux, do you have any final questions? Sure. Do, can you can you name some of the ones that you think are like the best stories you've seen in gaming? Ooh. You know, you're, I, I'm at an age where I don't remember everything. That's that's me right so now. Are we. Yeah, that's okay. Well, for different reasons, maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, I, as I said, I, I I like the Mass Effect games. Uh, I I I enjoyed those. Um, the Witcher game I played, I I, I liked. You gotta play three. Sensuous. Sensuous sacrifice. Oh, Sensuous sacrifice. sacrifice. Yes. You know, I found to be enormously intriguing on on a lot of levels. And and in some moments, really difficult to play and difficult to stay with. So I'm not really good at that that twitchy combat type of of stuff. So for those little moments, I I found it difficult. Uh, But I found intriguing the entire notion of, of that game um, yeah, that's a, that's a game that explores um mental illness i believe is that yes, what the yes, major yeah. way mm-hmm. yeah um um relatable content a, 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 what is it the age of inquisition uh dragon dragon Asian. dragon yeah i, yeah. I enjoyed those mm-hmm. um you know what game i i really enjoyed i can't remember the name of it and I really am not a big fan of the person who funded it. But remember years ago, Kurt Schilling? Oh, Kingdoms of Amalur. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> uh, when we call, we prank call Kurt Schilling for, for not even a show. And sometimes when I call him, I'll be like, hey, when's the next Amalur game coming out? And he'll be like, I had to shut down the studio. And I'll be like, what? Aren't you rich? And then yeah. make fun of him being an idiot. Um, but, but yeah, Kurt Schilling sucks. That game is amazing. Yeah. The game, the game was, uh, uh, that was the game. Oh, and you know what? I I liked Fable. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. I remember. Yeah. I remember when we, when we got Fable. That was you and I were um, you and I were playing pretty much constantly because uh, it was just like this new, crazy, intriguing thing. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it was a good-looking game. It it had um, it had some branches. 
uh, it told a good. I, I thought it told a good story for sure. And um, you know, and and I like games that have successive installments. I mean, you, if if the game is good and justifies a sequel, and, and you're fortunate enough that the sequel carries the story forward and and, and carries the gameplay to another level, uh, builds on what was successful in the first one. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like reading a, a, a series of novels that uh, which has engaged you, and I, I enjoy that. But those are some of the ones that I I can remember. <laughs> no, that's yeah, great. That's, great that's more than enough. Uh, we like to. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This well, was this was great. Me. So we've got Rabbi Jack here. We all have the Saint Barbara in the studio. She's in the back. But hey, mom, say hi. Hi. See, she's here. Yeah. Um, they're here for vacation. But yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back on in the future. Um, we'd um, love to maybe have, call you in sometimes. That would be really great. Thank you for having me. It's nice to uh, meet you, even if it's only digitally. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, seen, I feel like that's how I meet most people these days. I mean, you've seen Griffin <laughs> before because we've seen the Guys Night Out sketch that we did. Yes, I did. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, and uh, Lux, is there anything else we do for this special mini episode? Well, we're not going to do the segments. We are going to do the outro. So, Internet, thank you so much for listening. My name is Lux. I'm your host. Your co-host is Griffin Davis. Your dad and guest is Rabbi Jack Luxemburg. Your editing is by Haley Clement. Your intro and outro music is by Matthew Morden. And your art is by Brittany Metz. Thank you very much for listening. We love you very much, Internet. Thank you.